0: Book of Ephesians chapter four reads like this: But to each one of us, grace <laughs> was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. That he might feel all things. Father, this morning we have already worshipped you with all of our hearts. It never ceases to amaze me how you show up in your power and your might. And this morning, Father, you have stirred my heart beyond belief. But I ask this of you. That you settle my emotions. That you focus my attention on that which you have tasked me to do. And that is one of the most awesome opportunities and responsibilities any man has ever been given it is to proclaim your word this morning let your word come alive to your people make very little of me very much of you this we pray in the name of your precious son jesus christ amen you may be seated this morning we're going to pick up where we left off last week and what a moving service that was we talked about unity in the body if you remember the first six verses of the book of Ephesians talked about this worthy walk that culminated in unity. And we talked about last week the, the unity in the church, the church being unified. Jesus said in, in John 17 that he desired that we be one as he and Christ, as Christ and God are one. Uh, perfect in that Trinity, he wanted us to be perfect together, not for our well being which is one of the the serendipities of it, but so that the world, when they see the unity built within the church by God, they may realize that Jesus is the Messiah. So the first thing about the unity of the church is that Jesus would be seen as the Messiah, but then Paul goes on to elaborate on that and says, Let the unity be so that when the world sees us, when they walk into our presence and see that unity, they realize that Jesus is the Messiah and immediately they realize that their destination is a place called hell. They realize because of the unity of the church that there is this destruction for those who are not part of that church, who are not saved into that church. And it says, Paul says in Philippians, that by looking at us, they would realize their destruction, but they would realize our salvation. You want the opportunity to tell your neighbor about it jesus you want the opportunity to tell a lost and dying world about jesus be one with your brother and sister in christ through what he did for you upon a cross it tells us that but then he starts here in this verse this first verse we just read and he he's talked about the unity of the body and he steps now into the spiritual gifts of unification and he starts off and he uses these words but to each one but there for a reason that word but very often is skipped over very often we look at those beginning words and we just see them as a word and we move on but buts there for a reason you see because he's been talking about this unity of the body this one big body that is the church universal and he says but each one you see he takes this entire body that sometimes we can sit back and say well the body's accomplishing what it needs to so therefore i don't need to do anything and he drives a stake in our heart And says, yes, there is this body that's unified, but each one of you are a part of it. He lays the responsibility of unification of the body at your feet. It's not at the pastor's feet. It's not at the organization called Morris Creek Baptist Church's feet. It's it's not at Billy Graham's feet or anyone else's feet. It's laid at your feet. You see, what he says the church should be unified, he says in verse 7, but to each one what is this but to each one it talks about the very last word in that seventh verse which is this gift he says but to each one is given this gift so now we looked at the whole body but he says this gift is an individual gift you see god gives each believer a gift whether you believe it or not god has given you a gift he tells us that in the word See, no one can say that they're not gifted to accomplish God's will on earth. God has chosen just as he chose to save you and give you the gift of salvation. At the same time, he chose to gift you to accomplish his will on this earth. If his only purpose was to save you so that you would spend time in heaven, then you don't need to be on earth any longer. See, if salvation was the end of it, we'd all be home. So either you say it is the end, and I'm preaching to a bunch of lost people this morning, or you agree with me that it's not necessarily the end. It is where we wind up, but there is a purpose between our being saved and our getting to heaven in God's presence, and that's to accomplish his will. You see, the phrase, but to each one, is used to take the idea of unity and connect it to the diversity of all the believers. Look around the room. God's a very diverse God. He makes us all look different. For some, he gives beautiful spiked hair like mine. For some, he skipped over when he passed by Greg's house. Cliff didn't laugh because Cliff looks like Greg. He said, way. For some, he made very beautiful. I mean, look at Carrie and Johanna. My wife back there, I made sure I mentioned her. I had to go home with her tonight. Look at, look at all the ladies. The guys look around, and I'll be honest with you, I have to repent. I'm somewhat jealous that he spent a little more time working on you ladies and your looks than he did some of us men. Do I get an amen, Mitchell? Uh, but, I, I mean, you think about it. God is diverse. God makes us with different thoughts, different actions, different skin colors, different languages. He he gives us hearts that desire different things. He gives us different talents in our daily work. God is just very diverse in what he does. Even to the point that no two of us have the same fingerprints. You know, they found out in the last few years, no two of us have the same voice pattern. They can actually tell who you are through a cell phone by the pattern of your voice. God's diverse in his nature. Even though we see birds, and we call them birds, there's a whole diverse... Makeup of birds. They all act differently too. Vultures eat the stuff that's run over on the road while the bluebirds are hunting the worms that are crawling around in the ground while the woodpecker's poking holes in trees to pull bugs out. They're all birds, but they're all very different. Think about the snowflake. You know to discovered that every snowflake is unique? No snowflakes look the same. To us, as they fall from the sky, they're all white snowflakes. But when you take those and you place them under a magnifying glass, no two look alike. God's amazing. God's a very diverse God. Even though he's talking about the unity of the body, suddenly he stops and says, but to each of you diverse individuals, there's been given a gift. You see, each of us look different. Each of us act different. Each of us have different fingerprints, vocal patterns, different likes and desires. But each of us are connected to this body. Each of us are connected. We all have a specific purpose in the body. Just like a human body. You think about it. There are feet. There, there are hands. There are ears and eyes. These are all the outside things. Think about the unseen things. There are hearts and lungs and stomachs, kidneys. There are all those things that are inside. You take away any of those things, and in our mind, it's not a full body. Take away a hand. We struggle. We struggle to do things. T- take away a foot, we have to have help to walk, take out your stomach and it's, you can't absorb nutrients. Take out your heart and you fall on the floor dead. Th- there's all those pieces, parts or those that are seen, these, but there are those that are more important that are unseen. You see, you could cut off my hands and I'd still function. You can cut off my feet, I'd still function. You cut out my heart and I cease to exist. I fall dead as a human. Yet see, it takes each part to make a whole. Each part. It it takes every piece to make a whole body. Missing any part of that body becomes a hindrance. There are some folks that have run fingers through saws and they've had to learn to adjust because they they don't have that finger. They've had to learn to do it another way. There are people who who don't have hands that have had to learn to eat using their feet picking up a fork you ever tried it if I ever try to pick up a fork with my foot and get it to my mouth eating's not going to be my problem it's going to be who's going to unroll me after that but there are people that function that way they, they learn to, to function because they have to you see when a person's missing a piece of their body we call it handicapped don't we we look at them and say that person's handicapped that they have this handicap, this hindrance in their life, but somehow we have to adjust when that piece is missing. See, if the body of Christ is missing a part, if the body of Christ is missing a part. It too must adjust. It too must adjust, or it must limit what it does. Have you ever thought about that? See, God made our body, our physical body. I think it's an example of what we should be as a church. As a spiritual body. Take away any piece of a human body and you must adjust or limit what you do. Take away a spiritual part of God's body. It too must adjust or limit what it does. Have you ever thought about that as a part of the body? And see, each of you are gifted to be a part, a specific part. See, without spiritual hands, spiritual hands, We can't hold the hurting, now can we? See, if we don't have spiritual feet in the church, there's no way this church could go to the lost. See, without a spiritual mouth, there's no way to proclaim the gospel. Without a spiritual heart, the church dies. You see, without the stomach of the church, the church never grows. See, God has chosen to gift us not for us, but for Him for His service. Each of us are hand, a foot, an eye, an ear, stomach, a heart. We're each a part of that body. See, each of us is extremely important to God. We've got to realize that each of us is made a part of the body because we are important to God. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. Yes, you are a sinner saved by grace. But you're a sinner saved by God's grace. You're saved by God's gift. You're saved unmerited, unwarranted, undeserved by a precious, holy God. He gave His only Son to die on the cross for you. Is there anything else I need to say to make you believe that you are important to God? I'll be honest, you are not that important to me. I would not hang my son upon a cross to save your soul. You know why? Because I'm not God. He hung his son upon a cross to save me. I'm important to God and so are you. The beauty of it is, he would have done that if there had only been one of you. Do you understand how much God loves you? You see, each gift that he's given to us is just as important as that gift of his son. Because he loved you so much, he saved you. He loved you so much, he now gifted you to show the world that love. The gifts he gives us are to complete the body of Christ. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to try to do something in 20 minutes. That I probably couldn't do locked in a room by myself. But we're going to read the entire chapter of 12 of 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to explain that entire chapter to you in 19 minutes. 19 minutes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen quickly, button your seatbelt. Here we go. Verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to those Dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gift, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of you for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also his Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one Spirit. For in the fact the body is not one member, but it's many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? And now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, these members of the body, which seem to be weaker, they are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly I desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. See, it's important to understand that 1 Corinthians gives us a complete rundown of the spiritual gifts, their unity for diversity, and then their unity and diversity in just one body. And it tells us this, verses 1 through 3 says it's important that we understand those gifts. It's important we understand where the gifts originate. It's important we understand the purpose of those gifts, and we will get into that as we move through Ephesians. Verses 4 through 6 step in and say there is a diversity of these gifts that exposes itself in a diversity of activities. So the fact that we have multiple gifts, diversity of gifts, means that we should affect the world around us, as well as the body of the church, in a diverse way. Not all of us are doing the same things, but we're all working within the same body for one mission. Verse 7 steps in and says, That all of those, all those gifts that we need to understand, and the fact that they're all diverse and doing different things, all of those things come together for one reason. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. See, each of you are gifted. Put into the body with that gift for the profit of everybody in the body. So just sit back. And say, I know I've been given a talent or a gift, but you know what? I just don't want to use it. I think I'm too old or I'm too busy or I'm too whatever is selfish. Because if you choose not to use your gift, you could be affecting my walk. If you look at God and say, I know you gifted me for it, but I don't have time for it today. You're affecting the person sitting next to you in the pew. You see, the lack of obedience on your behalf to use the gift that a gracious God has put upon your life is a slap in the face to a God who said the body should be unified. You want to hurt the body? Sit on your gift. Didn't mean to stop there, sorry. Verse 8. Verse 8 goes on to say this. It says, uh, for each of us is given this word of wisdom through the spirit we should realize that it's not coming from the mouth of a preacher that we have these these gifts it's not coming from the mouth of a preacher that each should be used for the benefit of the body it's the wisdom and the knowledge of, through the spirit of the word that should tell you and convict you to use that talent it says that you're going to have this wisdom and knowledge as a gift verse 9 says you're going to have faith and healing verse 10 says some are going to have miracles prophecy discerning tongues An interpretation of those tongues. Verse 11 says that all this is done by the Holy Spirit and it's done at God's will. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It's at this point that a question must arose within the church. Well, if God gives it out, why did he let that one be the one that gets up and sing, and I just keep the babies in the nursery? Or, or why does that one get to do so? Why does he get to preach, and the only thing I get to do is serve tea at the, at the fellowships? Why, why is this person doing this, and my little gift doesn't even matter? Paul decides to address that. What he says there in verse 12, the human body is made up of many parts as compared to the body of Christ, which is also made up of many parts. He moves into 13, reminds us that this body was all created by God, and we were all baptized into one baptism, one Holy Spirit, all put in unity together. So all of it was accomplished by God. It's, it's all put together and fitted together nicely by God. He goes on to verse 14, and he says, and even though we're the diverse crowd, we're diverse in our gifts, we're diverse in our likes and wants and desires. We're still one body. He says, even though each of us have something that we feel like needs to be done and we're gifted to do, and it may be different than anybody else's, and it is, they're all unique. Even though that all those things are unique, it still makes up this one body. Notice how he keeps coming back to that, reminding us it's because we're hard headed. Said, so if I want you to know something, I tell you what I want you to know. I teach you about it. I tell you what I want you to know again. I teach you about it one more time and I tell you a third time, and maybe you'll remember a third of what I said to you. That's the way you teach. You tell somebody three times. Any teacher in the room will remind you it's repetition that makes us learn. Exactly what Paul's doing. He said over and over and over again We're one body. We're one body. We're one body. We're one body. In 15 to 21, he makes the case. <laughs> 15 to 21, the case is made that each body part is important and necessary. He uses stuff like if the hand was complaining about not being this, if the, if the ear said he wasn't eye. And then he says, what if? What if we got our way? What if we got our way and all of us were the eyes? What would the body do? What if we all got our way and we were all the mouth? What would the body do? See, we all want that gift that is most seen. Yet the Bible says the one gift in the church that is seen the most holds the most responsibility for what happens in the church. And that's the gift that I've been blessed with. At times, I'll be honest, it feels like a curse. Had someone this week, I was telling Kay, I think earlier, said, man, your church is growing over there. Wouldn't you like to know you had a thousand members? I emphatically said no. You you know why? It's it's not because of a thousand members. It's because of the fact one day I will stand before a holy God and answer for everything every one of you did under my leadership. I'd rather answer for a hundred than a thousand. If God chooses to grow it there, so be it. He'll give me the strength and the will and discernment to handle that. At this point, I can't. You understand, even though you see me week after week standing in this pulpit and it's very visible, the ministry that God has given me, with that responsibility comes the greatest judgment. Each of us want to be in the forefront. Each of us want to be seen. Yet when you become the hand, when that hand slaps someone, it's very much seen. When you become a foot and the foot refuses to go, it's very much seen. Be careful what you ask for. God may give it to you and teach you a lesson through it. But 15 to 21 there, he makes that case that the body is made up of many parts. And it was how ridiculous, how utterly ridiculous would it be to have one body and it's one part? Ridiculous. He moves on in 22 through 26. He says, no matter the perceived importance, no matter how you perceive others' gifts, no matter how important you think others' gifts are compared to yours, each gift complements, and each gift is needed. The smallest of gifts missing makes the body incomplete. In 27 through 31, he goes through and he tells each individual believer that he's an intricate part of the body and he should desire to be the best member he could be. We all should desire to be gifted the best that we could be gifted. See, God has chosen your gift, so therefore the gift you have is the best gift for you. We need to agree with God that that gift is perfect and holy because he gave it. And we need to see where he's going to use it and be the best member of the body we can be. Be the best hand, the best ear, the best eye, the best mouth, the best foot, the best stomach. So that the body of Christ shows the world that he is the Messiah. That there is only one true God. That there is only one Savior. And we all worship that Savior in such unity that when they see us, they realize they don't have that Savior. And they come and ask, what is it that unifies you? And you look at them and say, it's the man, the man God, who hung on a cross and died for my sin when I was a yet an ugly, undeserving sinner. He paid the price for my sin, and guess what? He paid the price for your sin, too. You want to know how you get the opportunity to share the gospel? Use your gift in the body, to strengthen the body to such a point that the world comes to you. You see, he goes through that entire chapter talking about the unity of the gift. Flip back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. By God's grace, we may get there yet. Ephesians chapter 4, so it says so to each one of you is this, this individual gift, this gift that is given, this, this gift. But how is this gift given to you? This is the most amazing thing to me. See, I understand God's grace and salvation. I understand that I didn't come to God asking for salvation, left alone and to my own, I would have stayed in sin. Why? Because I liked it. For any of us to say we didn't like sin, we're a liar, we need to come to the altar and repent. The devil works it in such a way that sin is pleasurable. If he made it so sin tastes like vinegar, none of us would do it. If he made it so that every time we sinned, we hurt immediately and paid the penalty immediately, we quit. But he didn't. He made it so that sin is enjoyable. So when we do it, we think that we're accomplishing something, we're fulfilling something in our life, and it's years later that we find out that sin in our life has destroyed our life. But while we're in the midst of that sin, we love it. And see what it tells me in the word that God so loved the world, that He graced me with His Son. I can understand that. I can understand it's only by God's grace that I am saved, not by anything I did, because I didn't do anything. But here he's using that same grace when he's talking about gifts. If you've done this, there's nothing, nothing against you. If you've been taught this, nothing against the person that taught. I remember for years in the Baptist life, there was a thing going around where they would give you an analysis of the gifts. You would take a test to see where you were gifted. Does anybody remember Anybody? Good. Nobody went through that. Good. Uh, you, you would go and search out that gift that you were given. And then they would take the analysis of that and the gift you were given, and they'd place you into the body and say, okay, you're gifted for that. you you do good with kids there. Get into kids' ministry. You're off and running. For years, you'd work in the kids' ministry miserable. You couldn't figure out how to do it. You, you were like me with children's church. I don't know if you know the biggest struggle I have any Sunday morning is children's church. It is. Just absolutely is. The kids are smarter than I am, and it just bothers me when I talk to them. Uh, that's not saying y'all aren't smarter, but put the shoe on that fits Uh, anyway we throw them into a ministry and they get in that ministry and they're just miserable but they go off the fact that we did this analysis you know how to know what you're gifted in ask the one that gave it to you ask the gracious God that when he saved you said you know what Mitchell I just know that I've saved you to be mine and this is what I'm going to put in your heart because it's with that heart I'll affect that world around you he reaches he says Neil I'm going to I'm just going to graciously give you this gift that one day will come to the surface and it'll bless the hearts of those around. Dan, I'm just going to touch you with this this gift, and and this gift is just going to affect that world that you live in. You don't have to go look for anything; you just have to sit down, be still, know that He is God, and ask. You see, most of us know where our gift is. You know how we know where our gift is because we see something. We desire for something to be accomplished there, and we think we should go do it. Or we think someone should go do it. Very rarely do we ever feel like that we're capable. Let me tell you this. I don't believe God ever places anything in your heart that he doesn't equip you to do. Talk to my wife about our early years of marriage. To think back some 28 years. 20, I got it right. Woo, woo, 28 years. To think back some 28 years, I would think if you would ask her, she would have never told you that you would see me doing this. When we would go to dinner and she can tell me if I'm lying, we'd go when nobody else did because I don't like crowds. Still don't today. But you know what? God doesn't care what I like. He knows what he's gifted me for. And he's promised me that if I will use that gift, he will give me the strength, the courage, and the power to accomplish whatever it is he wills with that gift that he has given. So when he places on my heart something that needs to be done, or something that I see as as part of the ministry of God, I no longer say, God, who are you going to have to do that? I stand as the greats in the Bible did and said, here I am, send me. You see, you already know where your gift lies. You just aren't willing to use it. See, he says that we have been graced. Grace is the willing giving of something. Grace cannot be earned. It's not deserved. Grace can only be grace if it's a gift. But see, grace is not only just a gift. This morning I gave the kids lifesavers. There's a few left. The ones who participate the most will get a lifesaver at the end of the service. But I gave them all lifesavers and it was a gift. But it wasn't grace. Because the only way that Gift can be grace as if the gift is the giving of myself. You see, grace is not a gift. It is the giving of yourself. Grace is not giving out of the abundance of what you have. Grace is not giving out of something someone's given you. Grace is only grace when it's the most precious gift that's ever been given. And that's you. The grace of God can be looked at as a self-donation, as a self-giving. See, God just didn't look around heaven and choose one of his creation. and said, I'm going to grace the earth by sending Gabriel to die on a cross for their sins. He didn't look around heaven and said, I'm going to pick this cherubim, I'm going to send this cherubim down to earth to die for their sins. No, God looked around heaven, and he said, I'm going to grace those sinners by sending myself. And he chose the third person of the Trinity, his son, to grace you. To grace you. You see, God is gracious to us because of who he is, not who we are. God's grace flows out of his holiness. Out of his love for us. The gospel is best defined in one word. Grace. You see, the, God, the gospel is the good news of God's grace to sinful man. Grace is God's self-motivated, self-generated, sovereign act of the giving of himself. The most incomprehensible and awesome truth of the gospel Is that God would give Himself for me. When I think of the Gospel, why would He do that? I made a list of some things I could think of this morning that He gives me. He gives me His salvation. He gives me His kingdom. He gives me His inheritance. He gives me His spirit. He gives me His throne. He gives me His wisdom. He gives me His love. He gives me His power. He gives me His peace. He gives me His glory. As a matter of fact, he said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places of Christ. What has God graced me with? Everything. All the heavenly spiritual blessings. He has graced me with that. And it tells us there The last part of that seventh verse, and I'll be quick. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given. How? According to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift. I think about this verse, and I hope it just popped in my head the right way. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. I think it is, yes. Having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If I think about this God that has so loved me that he gave his only begotten Son to save me, and he's placed within me this gift for him, if I understand that I've been given these different, grace, the different gifts by this grace, what am I to do? Use them. The saddest thing to me in any church, ours included, no matter which church it is, is the number of people that are so gifted by God that want to sit and sour in a pew. And never let that precious gift that was measured out of the hand that was driven to a cross with a nail. Christ measurement. That gift that was given through a blood-stained hand. They want to let it rust. You see, the gift of God is given to us in a measured amount. It's the amount that God desires. And that gift is to be used. It's not to sit on a shelf. We're gifted to accomplish. What are we gifted to accomplish? God's will. God's will in this earth. To say that what needs to be done is for someone else to do it because you aren't capable is to say that your God's not capable. To tell me you're too old to participate is to tell me that God's too old. To tell me you're too young to be a part of it is to tell me your God's too young. Because if you really understand your giftedness, it has nothing to do with you, just like your salvation had nothing to do with you. Your giftedness has everything to do with an awesome God. It is God who wills and works in our life to accomplish His will. I'll close with this. God has measured to each of us a specific gift that is to be used in the body of Christ to exhort, to edify, to uplift, to instruct, to love, to minister, to be an example of Christ. Are you using that gracious gift in the body of Christ for unity so that the world may know that Jesus is the Messiah.